You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, last week at a staff meeting here, uh, they were doing some Christmas planning, and I noticed, not unlike probably your family and any group you get together with, there are some people that look forward to Christmas more than others. Uh, some, you know, it's great, Christmas is coming. Others, not their favorite time of year. And then there are those, how many know people, who love to love Christmas? I mean, Christmas. They, they, they've had the uh, lights up and been singing Christmas carols since October. They had the tree up in November. And if they're buying Christmas presents now, it's for Christmas 2019. I mean, they, they just love to love. And if they buy a Christmas card, it looks something like this. Look, Jesus looks like he's almost ready to start teaching right there, you know, just as a baby. And then, or they buy a card that looks like this. You know? Or one light looks like this. You know, like, really? That's how the lights worked? Or they're a millennial and they, they like this kind of Christmas card. This is the perfect nativity scene. <laughs> Now, all of these people we've talked about so far are people who do Christmas with the filters on. They just filter out anything, you know, dark, negative, uh, unlikable, and they just focus. Now, Matthew, when you start to read from the first words of the first gospel of of Jesus Christ in his life in the New Testament, the first words that you read are this. This is the... What? Genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And and we understand that, that that establishes it. Because if you know the old part of the Bible, the old covenant, the Old Testament, we know that if the Messiah was going to, uh, you know, be who he said he was, if he's going to lay claim to Messiahship, he had to be the son of Abraham because God had started it all with Abraham and said, through you, I'm going to raise up a nation uh, that all people of the world will be blessed. And also, uh, God had said to King David, he said, there is one that's going to come from your family line that, uh, who will be a king whose rulership whose kingdom will be forever and forever. And so he's just got this this perfect beginning of introducing Jesus, first words of the entire New Testament. Here he is. And and in Jesus' world, your genealogy was it was more important than you know your Facebook profile, your resume. It just was so important. Uh, for example, Herod the Great, remember Herod the Great Narcissist? <laughs> he He purged every name from his genealogy that made him look bad. Jesus didn't even need the results from ancestors.ca. Matthew had all the documentation in hard copy. Watch the four boxes that need to be checked. He needed to be a son of Abraham from the nation of Israel, from the uh, family line of Judah, And from the royal family line of David. Check, 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 check. Jesus checks all the boxes. And uh, it may not be the most exciting reading for us. I mean, every communicator, whether verbal or written, 
you know that you have to capture your audience's attention right at the beginning so they want to hear what you're going to say next. So can you imagine if I came out here this morning and I said, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah, and Thamar, and Pharaoh begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram. Whew, there's over 40 different begats there. <laughs> Reminding me of a story of this uh, pastor's kid who was going home in the car with his dad after the church service where his dad had read the genealogy from Matthew chapter 1, and the little kid's just thinking, he says, Dad, Dad, was I born or was I begat? You know, just... <laughs> I mean, what is Matthew doing? Well, listen, come on. You don't go to any restaurant unless you've read the reviews or have a strong recommendation. And who would let a surgeon operate on you if he didn't have medical credentials? Anybody? Well, Matthew is showing the reader that all Jesus' paperwork is in place. He's establishing Jesus' impeccable credentials as the promised Messiah King. It's so perfect that when Matthew finishes and he works down all the 40-some begats and he comes to Mary and Joseph and the Messiah King, the Savior of the world has arrived, he makes the family line so picture perfect. It's like a Christmas tree and he puts the bow on the top with verse 17 and he says, thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus. You know, just beautiful. You know, that's Christmas with the filters on. And when you leave the filters on, four men, men, stand out in the family tree of Jesus. There's Abraham. Abraham. You know, what comes to mind? Godly heritage. Imagine being able to call yourself a son or daughter of Abraham, to be able to say he's your ancestor. You know, uh, but then we start to say, well, I sure don't have that kind of heritage. And we can start to think, you know, my ungodly past would disqualify me if that's what it takes. I've, I've got some embarrassing things in my past. And so Jacob, remember, he's the one that was so critical to God raising up a people that his Messiah would come through, that God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And Israel, can you imagine? The chosen people of God to bring his Messiah to the rest of the nations of the world. I mean, it, it, it is such a, there's such a sense of identity and purpose. There are unique laws that were given to this uh, nation of God's people. Have you ever read the Old Testament? Lots of dietary, all kinds of laws that they were given. I mean, there were Jews and everyone else is a Gentile. There's the chosen people and there are those who are maybe not so chosen people. It sort of leaves you as an outsider looking in. And then you, you come. You know, I mean, well, well, let's just talk about belonging a, a little bit. You see, okay, do you remember psychology class and Maslow's hierarchy of needs? It's interesting, watch this, that right after just survival, you know, your physiological needs, and then your need for safety, guess what comes next? Your need to belong. More than any other human needs, 
Third from the top, just after surviving and being safe, is a need to belong. I was reading some Psychology Today articles from last summer, and they're saying if a person, especially early in life, if they don't learn that they're accepted and that they belong, they'll go looking for acceptance and a sense of belonging in all the wrong places. You know, gangs and guy-girl relationships where they do stuff, not because they, they want to do it or feel it's right to do, but they, they, they want to belong more. And, and, uh, and so th this, this, is, uh, this is an important thing, but, you know, don't look for it here, right? I mean, it just sort of leaves you like you're an outsider looking in. What about Judah? Oh, Judah, watch this. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who comes next? Judah. Talk about a stable family. How many times do you hear in the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And then Judah be continues that. And that, that, what, what family could be more stable? I mean, in the Bible, have you ever read, Jesus is called the lion from the tribe of? Oh, talk about an amazing family. But if we have the Christmas filters on, we can easily say, you know, if only I came from a stable family, oh, then things would be so much different in my life. If I just had a family like, like Judah, just that, that stability and that strength. And, you know, after 40 years of pastoring, I don't know how many times I have heard people say, my family's weird. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't believe my family. My family is so messed up. And then time, this time of year, I've heard from people, just enough to know, and they really mean it. They say, you know, I dread the family get-together at Christmas. It's like we're forced to get together with a whole bunch of people that don't even like each other. But you got to do the Christmas thing. You know, I've also heard over the years, you know, people say, I, I don't even know who my dad is. And it affects me. Sense of identity, security, what you're looking for, for affirmation and wrong places. I've tried to encourage people, as our pastors around here still do, to people that have been adopted, orphaned, abandoned, recently to some whose only connection to their father is a sperm bank. And when they hear about Christmas and other people's families and families like Judah, oh, if only I came from a a stable family then. And then, of course, there's, there's David. He belongs in the genealogy of Jesus, of course. He's the man after God's own heart. He thirsts for God. He longs for God. You read his Psalms, and how does David know exactly how I'm feeling? God, I need you, and I, I turn to you for help. David had this closeness with God, and it just leaves you saying sometimes, I used to be close to God, but then stuff happened. This person did this. I used to be close to God, but then I responded to that in life. Or, or I used to be close to God. I grew up in the church, but then I drifted, and now, now I'm over, over here, and I'm not close to God anymore. Interesting, isn't it? How Christmas with the filters on can leave us regretful about the past, feeling like an outsider looking in, and you look at Jesus and, and following him and conclude, well, I'm not that holy. <laughs> look at a church and say, I, I, I can't go there. There may be people that are they're online and so glad to have you joining this gathering. But there are some people that may join online simply because they don't feel, well, I could never go to the church at 
Kennedy and Finch or the Claire Lee campus or another great church in the city of Toronto if you live here because, well, I just don't fit. That's just not me. I, I, I don't belong there. My past, my background, or just, just don't fit. Interesting how we can feel like we're an outsider looking in. But what if, what if, what if we do what Pastor Jonathan helped us start doing last week in this series? What if we take the Christmas filters off? What if we show you something? What if there's no more? <laughs> because we take the filters off. And do you know who's going to help us? Not four men. Four women. How many can just agree with me? It's not the first time that it took women to set the record straight. <laughs> Four women in the genealogy of Jesus, before we close this gathering with prayer, I'm going to pray for you, let's meet four mothers in Jesus' genealogy that will help us take the Christmas filters off and see what it really takes to belong to the family of Jesus. Sound like a plan? All right. Remember the first man we met? Abraham. Such a godly heritage that it leaves us saying... Well, not, not me, my ungodly heritage or my lack of godly heritage disqualifies me. Well, we need to meet a woman named Rahab. The first time you meet her in, is in the Bible's book of Joshua. And it, it, there's a group of Israeli spies, the original Mossad, going in to collect intelligence in the city of Jericho. And they stay at Rahab's guest house. But everyone knew it was, you know, Rahab's brothel. And, you know, and it, just, it just gets awkward when you think about it and read about it. Um, how many are already be seeing something that doesn't quite fit into this family tree of, of the holy child of Bethlehem? Our holy savior. Rahab is a Canaanite prostitute? Um, now, the, the account does tell us more about her. She did risk her life to hide the spies. She could have been killed for that when the police knocked on the door. The, the Bible also does tell us that she said to the spies from Israel, she said, listen, and I quote her, I know the Lord your God is God of heaven and earth. So for what it's worth, despite her prostitution, she obviously had a longing for the living God, the real God. But let's not go there, at least not quite yet, because we're still left with the embarrassing reality that a Canaanite with a past as a prostitute is mother to Boaz in the genealogy of the Holy Son of God. So anyway, maybe we better come back to that. Let's, let's, let's move on. Let's keep the Christmas filters off and take another look at, we, we saw Jacob and Israel, the name that is given to God's chosen people. They're the ones that have these unique laws. Matter of fact, listen to one of the laws, Deuteronomy 23. It gets so specific. It says, no Moabite shall come into the congregation of God even to the 10th generation. Clear enough? Clear enough? Ruth was a Moabite. What is going on here? The law was clear. How does she not only get into Israel, but get into the family line of Jesus? 
I mean, come on. If you followed the law, forgive me for this, Israel should have been ruthless. Did you get that online? Anyway, a little humor, apparently too little. Anyway, so, what's she doing there? And then, and then it takes three chapters of a book in the Bible named after her to tell you what I'm going to tell you in three sentences. First, Ruth goes to Israel and works hard as a laborer in the field of Boaz. Second, Ruth's mother-in-law discovers Boaz legally qualifies as a kinsman redeemer, which she translates into husband for Ruth and immediately begins planning a wedding. Third, Ruth, the forbidden Gentile Moabite foreigner, is included in Jesus' family tree when she has a baby with that husband Boaz and that baby becomes the grandfather of King David. How did that happen? How did she get into Israel when the law was so clear that she was an outsider? Now, now we do know that when her mother-in-law insisted that she go back to her Moabite family, she had more prospects of remarriage and a so much better future there. We do know that she responded to her mother and said, no, 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 I'm going with you to Israel. Wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. And listen to her. Your God will be my God. Again, like Rahab, there's just this longing for the living God that's more important to her than the betterment of her own earthly life. But the law still said, you, you, you stay out, you're an outsider. What about Judah? Well, Judah, how many remember? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Judah. How could you find a more stable family than that? Now, don't put up your hand unless, you, of course, you're watching us online. Go ahead and put up your hand, especially if you're alone. No one will notice. But how many, when you're asked about your family, have you been in those conversations and you're getting to know someone and you're trying to explain your family and you're just, you come to a place and say, my family's just way too complicated to explain. Just can't explain them. You know, my, my, it's just the instability and who's really this, anyway, it's just too complicated. Well, you know what? We need to meet, it's about time we met Tamar. Tamar. Um, Here's, here's the best way for me to start. It really starts out simple, okay? It starts with a little bit of understanding of the family law of the Middle East of that time of Tamar. If you were a girl growing up, you were the responsibility of your father. If you got married, you became the responsibility of your husband. If your husband died, you became the responsibility of your children. If you had no children and your husband died, it was the responsibility of the oldest brother-in-law to impregnate you and give you a son who would then take care of you. If your brother-in-law died and there was another brother that he had, that next youngest brother-in-law had the same responsibility to impregnate you, give a son. If that brother-in-law died, then it went, how many are seeing, a, see, seeing where this is going? It's simple, right? Because I haven't got to the complicated part yet. So how many can say it's simple so far? No? Okay. By the way, all of the above happened to Tamar. All of the above. You, can, you say, you're, you're exaggerating a bit just to communicate. No, no. Read about it in Genesis 38. It gets a little more specific. I'm going GP here. Anyway, it gets really complicated. When Judah's eldest son, Tamar's first husband, died, 
The brother-in-law didn't want her to get pregnant because if she had a son, then that son, not him, would be first in line for Judah's estate. Not economically advantageous. And so he practices natural contraception. Again, I refer you to Genesis 38. So now Judah's third son, it's his turn to marry Tamar. This is the Middle East law of the time. And Judah tells Tamar, he says, go back to your father's house. My youngest son isn't old enough now. When he's old enough, we'll come calling. But Judah is lying. He does not do what he promised. He didn't intend to. He's not doing what the family law of the time required. He's offloading Tamar. He's, uh, he's deceiving her, and he's abandoning her. Guess what Tamar does? She starts her own personal Me Too movement. That's what she does. Yep, she does. Genesis 38. When Judah goes for the, uh, you know, it was a time of celebration to uh, a semi-annual sheep shearing, Tamar travels to where Judah is staying. She disguises her identity, acts like she is a prostitute, and makes a negotiation, a sheep for a sleep. That's basically what she goes for. And, she, and, she, and you know, well, how do I know I'm going to get a sheep? Well, I'll leave my shepherd's staff and my seal. In other words, my driver's license with you. Okay? I'll, I'll leave that. And then uh, when he sends a sheep for the sleep, she can't be found. And so Judah doesn't get his shepherd's staff. He doesn't get his seal back. Doesn't get his driver's license back. And then... When Judah finds out his daughter-in-law is pregnant, he says, she must be burned. Exaggerating? Genesis 38. That is, until Tamar shows up with her own paternity test. And she says, anyone know who owns this shepherd's staff and this seal? <laughs> anyone see the, recognize the picture on this driver's license? Because they are the father of my child. Judah recognizes them immediately. And he says, and I quote from Genesis 38, verse 26. Listen, Judah says, She is more righteous than I am because I did not arrange for her to marry my son, that third son, Shelah. A number of Bible commentators say this is a case of incest. <laughs> my goodness, there it is in the... In the family tree of Jesus, our Savior. I mean, Matthew records it for all time. Judah was the father of Perez, whose mother was Tamar. By the way, who was it that said, Oh, if only I had a stable family like Judas? And then there's David, this man after God's own heart, you know, uh, just that closeness with God. It leaves us looking in and saying, if only I uh, could be that close to God, I, or I used to be that close to God, but then stuff happened and just drifted and I'm over here now. And then, of course, uh, it takes a woman to straighten out this one too. It's Bathsheba, the adulteress with a secret. <laughs> Matthew, though, doesn't keep it a secret. Just look at how he intentionally highlights it. 
in verse 6 of the genealogy of Jesus. You can't miss it. And Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been? No, not Bathsheba. I wish he had said that. Uriah's wife. Why are you putting the dirty laundry out there, dude? You know, and this, this is the official record, the genealogy. Why Uriah's wife? No, I not say David's wife or Bathsheba. Because David did worse than commit adultery with another man's wife. David misuses his power to orchestrate a cover-up operation that has Uriah killed in an effort to keep the adultery a secret until God mercifully sends his prophet to David to uncover the secret and David confesses his sin. I blew it. I was wrong, God. Cleanse me. And he begins to work on restoring the closeness of his relationship with God. Whew. I mean, how many can say, oh my goodness, the family tree of Jesus sure looks different when you take the filters off. When you take the filters off, you're still left with a question, Matthew, what are you doing? What are you writing here? Why include these peoples and make it so obvious that we can't avoid their failures? Matthew, is this necessary? No. Then why did you do it? Why put these details right in the middle of the family line of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Holy Son of God? You know, from Rahab the prostitute to David being a murderer. murderer. Why? Three of the four women in Jesus' genealogy don't even belong there. They're not fit. They're Gentile foreigners. And Judah, Genesis 38, that's not only embarrassing, that's disgusting. It made me think of a story I told you a number of years ago about a very wealthy and successful and proud American family who wanted to get a special birthday present for the patriarch in the family. And so they commissioned a biographer to write a family history. They were so proud of their heritage. And they, they, but they did tell the biographer about one problem they had, sort of a black sheep in the family situation they had because Uncle George had been in those days electrocuted in the electric chair as punishment for his crime of murder. How are you going to get around that? The biographer said, leave it with me. Leave it with me. You know, I'll bring your first draft. And, and so when the biographer brought back a first draft, he had written, Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. <laughs> he was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a great shock. You know what? <laughs> Why didn't Matthew do that for Jesus? Why didn't he sanitize the family tree? Purge out those embarrassing parts instead of highlighting them. Why didn't he? Three reasons. Here's the first one. Every human has reasons to be left out of the family tree of Jesus. Every human. We all got our stuff. <laughs> Baggage. Stuff we've done wrong. I mean, Abraham was a liar. Lied about his wife not just once, a couple of times. 
I mean, you just go through the whole thing. You, you, you've seen enough of it already. They're, they're, if, if only perfect people were in the family tree of Jesus, there'd be no Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. There'd be no Bathsheba, no Tamar, no Rahab, no Ruth. There, there would not be any of them. And certainly today there would not have been a Keith Smith. I expected shock. Anyway, <laughs> it may have been Jonathan Smith, but no Keith Smith. Listen, watch this. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory, that, that perfection, that glory, that what we all want to have, what we all long for, things to be right, his righteousness. So what's Matthew's point? Why does he include all this? The same reason why after chapter one and the genealogy establishing Jesus' cred, he spends the rest of the time showing how Jesus going to one community after the other, one person after the other, saying, I didn't come for spiritually healthy people. I came for people that know that they have a need of me. I came for the sick who need help, spiritually broken. I came to bring healing to them, even to the brokenhearted. How many are thankful that Jesus came for us not because we are good enough, but he came for us in spite of the fact that we were not good enough. He left heaven and died on the cross so that he could take his good enough that he purchased for us there and give it to every human as a gift because even though we're not good enough, he is good enough and he gives us his good enough as a gift and it is called grace. Grace. Do you know what grace is? We can define it different ways, but here's one way. Watch this. Grace means God knows every dumb thing Keith Smith will do, and he still wants me to be part of his family forever. That's grace. I thought Esther would say amen. I mean, that's grace. That's grace. Every human being has reasons to be left out. We were all in the same situation there, even the best in the family tree of Jesus. Secondly, the grace of Jesus is necessary for us to be in his family. You know, we need something to pick up the slack. We get this far, but there's a, a gap between us and this perfect, glorious God. Jesus came to fill in that gap with the cross. And now we go to God in the, through the name of Jesus, his grace. And so to, to those who are here watching online and, and, and you've, if you're taking the Christmas filters off today, let's, listen to, let's take it one step further because I have four verses for every one of us. First of all, for those who find themselves saying, my ungodly past disqualifies me. Listen to this. For it is by what? Grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not by being good enough, not your good works, not by doing enough good so that no one can boast. It's all about the grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, for those that are listening to me and you're like an outsider looking in, oh, if only, listen to the scripture in Romans, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But praise the Lord, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Oh, how many of it makes you want to sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Where would we be without the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ today? And listen, to those who think, if only I came from a stable family, my whole life would be so much different. 
Listen to Hebrews. I'm going to ask you two questions. Both the one who makes people holy. Who is the, what's the name of the one who makes people holy? His name is Jesus. And those who are made holy. Who's that? No, it's not Jesus. Yeah, it's us. See, I have to slow this down or you won't get the impact and the import of it. Watch this now. Both the one who makes people holy, that is? And those who are made holy, that is? Moi et tu. The plural, whatever it is. Anyway. No, let's, don't miss this. Look at The one who makes people holy and those who are made holy, Jesus and us, are of the same What? But I've done stuff that disqualifies me. I don't fit. I don't belong. I can't even show up at church because I just, I just, this is not me. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm? Thank you, Jesus. That's amazing grace. It sort of like reminded me of the story of this World War II situation where a soldier got killed in battle and his buddies wanted to give him a, a dignified burial. They were in France and they, they, they went over to a church that had a cemetery. You could see the fence around all the gravestones where people were buried. And, the, and so they went to talk to the priest. Can we bury our buddy in the, in the cemetery? And the priest says, well, was he baptized Catholic? And they said, no, we don't know. And he said, well, tell you what. He said, uh, you know, bury him outside the fence. You know, here's a place here. Just let you go ahead and, you know, have compassion on you. Let you just bury him outside the cemetery fence. And so they did. And uh, before their uh, military group, their soldiers uh, unit, left uh, France to go to another place, um, they decide they go back and pay their last respects. Who knows when they'd be in France again, pay their respects to their fallen uh, buddy. And so they, they went and, and the, the church and the cemetery and they're looking and look at, they couldn't find his grave. They couldn't find his grave. And so they went to the priest and they said, you know, we're right. We, we went right over there outside the fence. We couldn't find where our buddy was buried. And the priest said, oh, I, I, I can tell you a story about that. He says, come with me. And he brought them to a place inside the fence. And he said, he's buried here. He says, you know, after, after you guys left, it just bothered me so much. I started to think of what would Jesus do? And he said, so I moved the fence. Moved the fence. How many are thankful Jesus moved the fence for you so his family tree could include you? That's grace. That's grace. What Jesus went through so that you could be included in his family forever. Listen, listen I got to stop here. There was a girl I met baptized in our church two years ago coming out of Saturday night, I can tell she's really got this. She'd been through relationships and all kinds of stuff. I went home and told my wife about her because I said that like that, that she, she understands this. She said, oh, Pastor Keith, thank you for that teaching tonight because she has a whole new life because something about this went past her brain and went right down into the core of her being and Jesus changed her identity when she found out that he wanted her so much in his family that he died for her, rose from the dead so she could be with him forever and it just changed everything. 
Something happens when you let this go from being caught or taught to your head to being caught in the deepest part of your being. Oh, dear one, you may be watching me online in this room in Toronto today, but Jesus Christ loves you so much. He gave everything for you so that you could be included in his family forever. Oh, if ever you are going through a tough day this Christmas where you feel, oh, I don't fit, I don't qualify, I'm not good enough, remember the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because to remember it is to remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that his family tree includes you too. Includes you. Uh, Every one of us have reasons to be left out of the family of Jesus. It's the grace of Jesus that's necessary to get us into his family. And then third, Jesus includes everyone who trusts him in his family. Everyone? Everyone. Whatever religious background, family background, messed up background, everyone. Everyone. The gospel of Matthew is clear. That's why he lets us in on people who failed in the family tree. He's saying from prostitute to royalty, man or woman, Jew, Gentile, young, old, outsider, insider, chosen Israeli or frozen Canadian. Jesus includes everyone who trusts him everyone. How many can just pause with me and just say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Say it with me. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. But then watch this now. We're inviting people this month to come to church, your friends and neighbors, you know, whatever background they're from, right? Whatever baggage they come in with, we're inviting them. And so I, 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 I thought of these words that were written by George McLeod, and I know This is the kind of church that Pastor Jonathan is helping us to become more and more. And I want to just share these words with you before we pray. He says, I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I am recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. On a town garbage heap, at a crossroads of politics so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. At the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble because that is where he died and that is what he died about. And how many know those are the people that he died for as well? And that is where Christ people ought to be. That is what church people ought to be about. And how many say, oh Lord, may our church always be about that. Can you say a good amen? May it always be about that. Uh, So let me pray. Let me pray for people in this room and those that are with our gathering online. Just bow your heads, giving privacy to those that are making decisions in these moments of closing prayer. How many are here today? And you say, you know, I disqualify myself. I say, I'm, not, I'm waiting until I get good enough and then I'll become a Christian. And you realize that no, it's because we're not good enough we need to become a Christian. We need Jesus. We need his grace. And I'm not promising that if you'll pray with me, you'll be perfect. I'm saying you'll be perfected. Jesus will come and live inside your life. You'll still stumble and fall. But when you get back up again, you'll say, Jesus, I'm following you. I know where I'm going. Only you died for my sins so I could be forgiven. Only you did what it takes so I can go to heaven. So how many in this room would say, Pastor Keith, and if you're joining us online, how many would say, 
if, if you'll lead me in a prayer right where I'm seated, I'm going to whisper it along with you. I'm, I'm ready to say yes to the life and the forgiveness of Jesus. And I, I want to pray with you. I need his forgiveness. I need his new life. I realize that Jesus wants me in his family. And I'm saying yes to that invitation today. How many in, in this room in Toronto? First of all, downstairs. How many would just slip your hand up and then put it back down again as people give you privacy just to say, pray with me. I need Jesus. Yes, over here at the back. Over here at the back as well. Yes, up here at the front. How, how many upstairs? Yes, bless you, ma'am. Bless you. Bless you over the side. Yes, bless you over here. How many others upstairs? I've only been looking on one side. Oh, there's just lots of us. Let me lead you in a prayer. If you disagree with any of it, just leave it out. But if, you, if it expresses your heart, just, just, just let me lead you in a prayer that will result in Jesus coming into your life with his forgiveness and new life. Just pray after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for including me when you died on the cross. Today I say yes to your forgiveness. Come into my life and cleanse me of all my wrongs and sins. And keep forgiving me as I follow you. Keep giving me that new life of joy and peace that you came to give me. And when my life is over, take me to your presence in heaven when I, when I die. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming me into your family today. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, just whisper, amen. Amen. Now, watch this. Whether, how many know his family just got bigger? <laughs> But listen, whether you've been, you just prayed with me and became part of Jesus' family, or you've been following Jesus for over 80 or 90 years, how many know the only, the only thing that qualifies you to be a Jesus' family is His grace? His grace. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.